0: As we come now to a section in the Gospel of Luke, it's called the Olivet Discourse. You know, when I was getting ready for this study, I thought it'd be best to slow down and actually to divide it into three separate studies so that we could have a real firm understanding of what the Bible teaches when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, if I was to outline this section, some of the things that I would separate it into is number one. We have the signs about the destruction of the temple. Number two, we have the signs of the second coming of Christ. And then number three, we have the signs of the statements, in which we're going to see opening statements, closing statements, interpretation, and then illustration and application. I know right now that sounds like a lot, but as we go through the next three studies, I really pray that we would have a good understanding of this. You know, I don't want to just kind of fly by. My prayer is that we would really have this in our heart. You know, I don't know how you guys are doing in your relationship with God. I know some of you here are doing pretty good, man. Some of you here, you love the Lord and you're busy about his business and you're walking in obedience to him. Some of you here are real. You're the same at church that you are at home. You know, you are a person who loves God and who loves people. And you are serving him, you know, faithfully and diligently. Some of you here are overcoming sin. And you're going forward in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I would also venture to say that there are some of you here who are not. You know, when in all reality, when you look in the mirror, you find yourself living in sexual sin. You're living in, you know, die-cast rebellion to God. You find yourself today and you, you know, you don't have a passion for the Lord. You don't have a fire for him. Some of you here are barely, barely even serving God. You're giving the minimal that you can give in almost every area of your life. You know, we all find ourselves in different places. God loves us all the same. But that's not what our Lord deserves. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, you know, we find ourselves, you know, coming and going to church and nothing's really changing. Some of you here, you are so caught. Up in this world that it just blows my mind and I wonder why well maybe part of the reason that we find ourselves struggling sometimes is because we don't really have this part of our life this part of our doctrine this part of our belief where it belongs because when you understand that Jesus Christ can come at any moment When that's real in your life, your life will show it. You might, I know, if we were to do a survey here today. You know, if I was to do a survey, I would ask you guys, hey, do you think Jesus Christ is coming at any moment? Most of you here would say yes. But most of you here do not really believe that. Really believe that. Because if you really believe that, then your life would be different. And that's why it's so cool to to study this again and again and again. And my prayer is that we would have a really good understanding of what the Bible teaches. You know, the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And that is when Jesus Christ will take his church home, right? He doesn't come all the way. He comes halfway. And what he does is he raptures us up. Enoch in the book of Genesis chapter 5 is a picture of the rapture of the church in which the Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay? God took him. He never died. There will be a generation, according to First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that will not die. And one of the things that we need to understand, according to the Scriptures, is this, that there are no signs necessary for the rapture of the church. As a matter of fact, there are no signs When it comes to the rapture of the church, this is why when you read the Bible carefully, you find that the New Testament church believed that the rapture could happen at any moment. The signs that we read about in the Bible are regarding the second coming of Christ. The second coming takes place seven years after the rapture. When we go through the Great Tribulation period, then King Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth established in Jerusalem, and then after a thousand years of Jesus reigning on earth, then comes the end of the world in which heaven and earth will pass away and God will give to us a new heaven and a new earth. I can't wait for that day. It's going to be so amazing. But I think it's important for us as Christians to really understand what the Bible teaches. We need to have right belief in order that we would have right behavior We need to have right doctrine in order to have proper duty and devotion to God. And so as we go through our study today, my prayer is that the Lord would really stir up your heart to know that he's coming soon and that we better be ready. How many of you here live in the nation of procrastination? Just out of curiosity, man. You guys are bad. We're bad, man. I admire you, some of you here who don't do that. You are so ahead. You are so ready. You know, This is what I've learned, and I've had to discipline myself and go against the grain of who I am because by nature I'm a procrastinator. And I've learned that I must discipline myself because what ends up happening to procrastinators? Well, procrastinators say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do it you know a month from now. What happens? It never happens. I'll get my life right with the Lord tomorrow. You want to know something? Tomorrow will never happen. That's why when you realize the Lord can come today, right now, you get ready right now. I've learned as a procrastinator, you know, what's ha- I'm going to share with you guys a personal testimony, you know. A lot of times the Lord, he just kind of puts things together. You're like, oh, it all worked out. The Lord worked it all out. Sometimes you'll hear procrastinators say that. The Lord worked it out. The Lord's on the throne. It all turned out okay. But you want to know something, man? That's not our mentality. It shouldn't be because that's an abuse of the grace of God. And the day will come when it will be too little, too late, and it will not work out. What then? Well, it was the sin of procrastination of not being ready for the Lord. And if you're not ready for the Lord, if you're not walking in obedience to Him, I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm talking about living a life where you know where there's revealed sin in your life and you're still holding on to it. If you're still living that life of die-cast, rebellious, consistent, insistent, persistent sin, then you will be left behind and the Bible says this that there will be this you know almost like a spell and you won't be able to believe anymore why because you're playing games with God and you can't do that you read 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 and you find that whole thing that the way that it works out you know I know that some people say well I'll live for the Lord later you know Or or during the great tribulation, I'll I'll, I'll get my head cut off then. Well, if you can't live for the Lord now, what makes you think you're going to be able to die for him then? Today is the day, you guys. And that's why studies like this, they give us an urgency to make that decision today. Because look what you read here in Luke 21. It says in verse 5, that as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he, Jesus, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. What we have here are some opening statements from Jesus, the disciples, And what you find is that when you put the different synoptic Gospels together, you get a real clear picture. Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, they all have the Olivet Discourse. If you read Mark chapter 13 verse 1, it informs us that it was actually one of Jesus' disciples that initiated the conversation. And what he did was he pointed to the temple and he said, Teacher, what manner of stones... And what buildings are here? In Matthew 24, we read that it wasn't just him. It was also the disciples, plural, and that they came up to Jesus to show him the buildings of the temple. You know, and from a human perspective, the temple was spectacular. These were amazing stones that they were talking about. The temple in those days was a structure that was absolutely epic. It was clearly one of the wonders of the world regarding the things made by man. Think about this. Some of the stones were 20 feet feet tall and 40 feet wide. It's amazing when you think about that. They were all cut perfectly at a separate site, then transported and joined together just so, so that no mortar, no cement, no super glue was necessary to keep them together. You know, recently, there was an excavation in Jerusalem, and they found one stone to weigh 400 tons. Think about that. A modern-day crane can only handle five tons. How did they do this? How did they make such a spectacular temple? The gates, they say, as you you know journeyed up towards the temple, they had these pure brass great gates that were 130 feet tall. That would be three telephone poles, right? You go up to the Temple Mount, you finally reach the temple, and you find that the temple itself was 90 feet high. Josephus, the historian, said the temple was so magnificent that it was visible from 30 miles away. You know, the gold, they say, was everywhere. It was spectacular. It was amazing. You know, here we are in our days. We have like our little gold chain right here. Maybe if we're lucky, we've got a gold ring. Imagine if this whole building was gold inside and out. Everywhere you went, wouldn't that be a trip? They say that the gold that was used in the temple of that day, if you were to estimate it in modern-day currency, it would be the equivalent to $1 trillion. It was an amazing temple. And so the disciples, understandably, you know, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, check this out, man. Isn't this amazing? And the Lord, he essentially said, not really. You know, the days are coming when not one stone will be left upon another. He said it's all going to come down one day. Now Lord willing, we'll talk more about this next week. But we know this prophecy came true when the general Titus surrounded Jerusalem. 1.1 million Jews were killed, and they literally took every single stone down. And so the disciples asked Jesus this question. Jesus then responds to them, and it just kind of blows them away. Again, there in verse seven, they asked him, saying, teacher, I'm sorry, verse six, these things which you see, the days will come, which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so they asked him, they said, teacher, when will these things be and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Now, when you put the gospels together, Matthew and Mark and Luke, and you kind of harmonize this whole thing what you find is they came out of the temple, and then they reached the Mount of Olives, and then they asked him this question. Mark says that it was not just uh, Jesus, not, not all the disciples. It was actually Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They sat down, and they asked him privately this question. And so it's kind of like a private lesson, a private session for us to be able to learn from. Really, when you study the all of it discourse, and I want you guys to know this, as I've told you before, man, I don't want you to go out there and you talk to some other Christian and you you know you don't know what you're talking about, and they say, well, what church do you go to? And then you go to Calvary Chapel Almani, and you say, oh man, that guy must not be a very good teacher, man. I'm not telling you the truth. No, I want us to be able to go out there and just know what the Bible teaches, right? And you know, well, it's Luke 21, it's Mark 13, it's Matthew 24. I study them all side by side. I harmonized the Gospels and I realized this, that when they asked him the question, the question was, number one, when will the temple slash Jerusalem be destroyed? Number two, what are the signs of your coming? And then number three, the signs of the end of the age. And we're going to see that as we go through our study in Luke chapter 21. But first, we need to know this, because the Bible is filled with signs. But what we have here in the Olivet Discourse are what we call general signs. Now, these are signs really for the second coming, these are signs really for the end of the age. These are signs that will kind of like find their ultimate fulfillment in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. But these are signs that you and I need to know. Because they're kind of like labor pains upon a woman who's pregnant. For those of you ladies who are pregnant, I know you guys know how it works probably, right? You know, when the birth is drawing near, and actually when the day comes, when the time comes, what happens to those labor pains? Well, they grow in frequency, and they grow in intensity, right? And then the day comes, the moment comes, and the baby is born. While all these are kind of like labor pains, they will grow in frequency. They will grow in intensity until one day we see Jesus comes and then inevitably we see the end of the world. Look what it says in verse 8. Jesus said this, take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And we'll stop there because really these are the general signs when it comes to the coming of Christ. And what we find is that in one sense, they've always been, but in another sense, we see that they will grow as time progresses in frequency and intensity. Now, what we find here is that these are the signs of our Savior, and they tell us that one day all the prophecy will be fulfilled. You know, a while back, I was reading an article in which scientists were predicting the end of the age. They called it the shredding of the universe. And they said that phantom energy is ripping apart galaxies, stars, planets, and eventually every speck of matter in what they call it a fantastic end time. Now, according to this study, given the current rate of acceleration, the end of the world will take place in 20 billion years. Now, you know, when I read that right there, I think while they might be right, but if I had to guess, I would say they're probably about 20 billion <laughs> years off, right? <laughs> and you're like, well, why would you say that, Manny? Well, it's pretty simple. If you want to know what the you know, time is, if you want to know what the signs of the end of the age are, we can't trust in man's inventions. We can't look out to what they would call nature's creations. We need to look into his word. We need to look up to God. We need to look at his revelation. You see, when I start the day, you know, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this, but my wife, you know, she'll ask me, well, what time are you going to come home? What time are you going to be home today? Why? Because she wants to make me, you know, enchiladas, right, when I come home, right? She wants it hot and ready and on the table, right? So what time are you going to come home? Okay? And I know this sounds kind of crazy, but she doesn't ask my truck, hey, what time are you bringing him home, you know, little Toyota? <laughs> no. She doesn't ask my shoes, hey, what time you think he'll walk in the door, you little vans, or whatever it is, right? (laughs) She asks me, right? She asks me what time I'm going to come home. And as far as God returning, we don't look to man's inventions. We don't look to nature's creations. We ask God, Lord, when are you coming? And the Lord said, well, these are not going to be like the slam dunk things, false messiahs, wars, commotions, earthquakes, pestilences. All these things are just kind of like they're things to get you ready. But as they increase in frequency and intensity, what we see is the Lord is communicating to us that it's then that I'll be home. You see, the same is true when it comes to the end of the age. We don't ask the stars. I'm not going to ask the scientists. I'm not even going to ask myself. I ask the Savior. I ask the Son of God, who is the one who will be returning one day. Now, one thing I need to mention to you is this, that the Bible does not reveal the day or the hour. Matthew 24, 36, you got to know that one really well. Matthew 24, 42. Matthew 25, 13, tell us that... No one knows the day or the hour, okay? And the reason I say that, and I need to say that, I would say probably 80% of you already know that. But there might be 20% of you here who one day, for whatever reason, you end up in a church, you end up under some type of teaching, you end up seeing a billboard or hearing some type of radio advertisement that says the Lord is coming back on this day, right? And we hear that all the time, right? And you need to know that the Bible specifically says that no one knows the day or the hour. We are expected to know the season of his return according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6 so that it wouldn't take us by surprise. We are expected to know the signs of his return and as these things increase in frequency and intensity the signs become even louder and clearer that Jesus is near. And when the Lord comes back what will you be doing? What will your relationship be like? Have you ever had someone surprise visit you at your house? You guys ever have that? We don't really hear that too much. I mean, I'm sure it happens, right? But man, what happened to the good old days? <laughs> the good old days when anyone can kind of come over at any time. Now we've got to, you know, check my calendar and you've got to give me a week advance notice. and Otherwise, you know what? You might walk in and my house is pretty dirty or something, Right? But it's kind of cool, and that's why it's nice to have special events at your house. Why? Because it gets clean, right? (laughs) But just imagine if, you know, any day could be the day of that special event. Well, what happened? You'd always be ready, right? You'd always be ready. And that's where we are when it comes to this whole thing. We're going to look real quickly at some of these signs right here. Because, you know, you might kind of gloss over these and you might just jet over into the next section. But I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to do. I think the reason he mentions these signs is because he wants us to see where we are on this whole prophetic calendar. You know, of course, we know the signs right here are general. I want to encourage you to look for other signs. For example, the things that are going on in Israel, the things that are going on in Iran, things that are going on in Russia, things that are going on in China. All around the world we see the falling away, the apostasy, even within the church. They're all signs of the times, right? But what we find right here are things that we would call general signs that will increase in frequency and intensity. Look again at verse 8. He said, Take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near, therefore do not Go after them. The first thing that we need to be aware of are false messiahs. You know, People like Jim Jones, Charles Manson, Sun Young Moon. There's so many others. Uh, there's actually hundreds of men and women alive today that say they are the return of Jesus Christ. And I could read all these names to you. Lord Matria of England, Yahweh Ben Yahweh, Rabbi Menachem, remember Dor- David Koresh, David Berg, Maurice Clemens, Surjav Troop, Marina Svigin, Hogan Fukanaga, Shoko Asha'ara. And some of these names are hard to pronounce, so I won't read them all to you. I remember this one guy, Maja Riji, I don't know if you remember him. His catchphrase was the Lord of Heaven on a 747. Do you guys remember him? Crazy. He thought he was Christ until one day he stopped eating uh, vegetables, started eating meat, fell in love with a woman 28 years younger than him, And so his mom said, oh, well, you're not the Messiah after all. Your brother is, you know. (laughs) And we find today that millions of people follow them. And so, you know, you're here, and I know most of you here, you're Calvary Chapelites, and you know how ridiculous that is. But we need to say this because Jesus said that this will be a sign of my coming. This is a sign that will increase in intensity and frequency. And if you would know this, if people would know this and things would be so different, I was thinking of the Jim Jones Massacre who never claimed to be Jesus himself, but he did claim to be God. And as a result of that, 906 people committed suicide as they followed him. And that's why we need to be so careful. We need to know what the Bible says. Jesus says Do not be deceived. Do not go after them. You see, when you hear of any of these things, we need to see it as a sign of his imminent return. You know, he says secondly there in verse 9, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Now, it's kind of funny. Jesus mentions wars but he says, not right away. And so it's worthy of his mention. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made the list. But he says that, remember, these are just the beginning of birth pangs. But as you see these wars and commotions and rumors of wars growing in frequency and intensity, what you find is the Lord is saying that his coming is imminent. I don't know if you guys ever studied wars. I don't know if you ever studied the frequencies of wars and the intensities of wars, but it's a worthy subject of study. In the last 100 years, we have actually seen more wars than any time in the recorded history of the world. And you would never figure that. You would figure with all our evolutionists and atheists and philanthropists that there would be less wars now than ever before. But what we find is that just as Jesus said, that these are things that are the beginning of birth pangs. Today, there are actually 39 different wars going on all around the world. You know, we live in the United States of America. We're celebrating our veterans this weekend. Some of you got Monday off. It's not because, you know, it's some random holiday. It's because soldiers have laid down their life For the freedom that we have in this country. We are in a war right now. Some people say, oh no, it's not really a war. Well, tell that to the 2,000 families who have lost a loved one. We're in a war. Even America is in a war. And we find, you know, as we read the scriptures, is that the Lord says, yes, these are signs that will increase in frequency and intensity. You know, we have one war going on. It's been going on since 1918. Today, 40,000 people have died. And you just go down the list. I encourage you, do research. Man, even as recently as 2012, people dying in Congo, Africa. God help us to know that all these things are coming to pass. The false messiahs, which is different than a false prophet, The the wars and the commotions and the rumors of wars. And then notice what he says there in verse 10. That nation will rise against nation. And as a result of that, kingdom against kingdom. So these are signs. Just want to equip you. Just want to encourage you. Look for these signs. Or when you hear of these signs, let them be constant reminders Of our Lord's return. When we think of nation against nation, the Greek word translated nation is the word ethnos, where we derive our English word ethnic or ethnicity. And what Jesus is speaking of here is racial tension that would grow in frequency and intensity. This is a big problem that we have today. It wasn't just yesterday, it's still going on today. You know, Billy Graham, the Christian evangelist who traveled the planet over and over again, who in the year 2010 celebrated 60 years of Christian ministry, said, If I could cure the world of one evil, outside of sin, one evil, outside of salvation, that one evil that I would want to cure the world of is racial tension. You know, maybe you're not, you know, struggling with that, but understand this. The whole world is. Just like Jesus said. You know, you would figure that things would be getting better now. But we see in the 20th century alone, six million Jews slaughtered in Germany and Italy. In Bosnia, the ethnic cleansing that took place, half a million people died. 10,000 people in one week alone. In Rwanda, half a million people have died. As nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom, just like Jesus said. He goes on to speak of other things. There in verse 11, there will be great earthquakes in various places. And this is a sign of our Lord's eminent return. They grow in frequency and intensity. Now, you know, we don't have time to turn there, but if you were to later... And I really pray you guys would become, you know, prophecy, you know, buffs. I mean, I've talked to people that, that are really into prophecy and, and it hasn't really affected their heart. You don't want it just to be knowledge. You don't want it just to be knowledge. But when you can understand the eminency of these things and really understand what prophecy is all about and let it travel from 18 inches from your head to your heart, it's amazing what ends up happening. Study Revelation chapter 6 all the way through 19 and you get the Great Tribulation period. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of the book of Revelation, okay? I remember one time I was talking to this one guy and he was a Christian, probably been a Christian for about five years. And somebody told him, don't read the book of Revelation yet. You know, they were trying to scare him. And I said, dude, read it, man. You've got the Spirit of God within you. You've got some good Bible study resources in front of you. Read it. And homeboy read it, man, and he read the whole thing in one sitting, and it changes life because Jesus is coming. And if we don't have that healthy urgency within us to think, oh, no, nah, not today, uh, maybe next week, maybe next month, <laughs> probably ten years from now, then we will not be the Christians we were meant to be. Every time you hear of an earthquake, it should be like a little boom, a little reminder. The Lord's coming, huh? You know I mean? You hear about an earthquake in Washington, D.C.? Doesn't that sound crazy? That's what happened, right? It's kind of sad. Um, President Obama said he didn't feel it. Sounds like something he'd say, huh? (laughs) I mean, here's God's trying to get his attention. God's trying to rock his world. God's trying to wake him up what do you say? Oh, I didn't feel it. How ridiculous is that? God is trying to get our attention. as God's trying to tell us, hey, you know what? I'm coming soon. When you study earthquakes, you find that they are increasing in frequency and intensity. In the 1950s, they say there were 475 earthquakes, 6.0 or above. In the 1980s, it rolls all the way to 1,075. Scientists will tell you that in the 1990s, earthquakes increased to over 1,500 per decade. And that's where they're averaging now 6.0 earthquakes per year, which is a major increase in the last 50 years. They say that most earthquakes will never uh, be reported. Most will never hear about most earthquakes that take place every single day. But you and I, we hear some of them, huh? We do. Maybe you remember the year 2011 where 181 people died in New Zealand. It was a 6.3. 26 people died in China. It was a 5.4. 15,341 people died in Japan. It was a 9.0. 150 people died in Burma, 6.8. 111 people in India, 6.9. 604 people died in Turkey. It was a 7.1. And you read on and on and on. You know, to me, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of amazed that we can even now measure earthquakes and find out some are stronger than others. We can measure and record and chronicle in history that now they're actually happening in places that they didn't happen before. And we can actually have now the technology to spread it all around the world in a single moment of time. All these things, the false messiahs, the wars and rumors of wars, The earthquakes that are going on, the racial tension that's taking place. One day in the book of Revelation, the Bible says there will be an earthquake so great that every island and every mountain will be shaked out of its socket. And like I said, all these things, they kind of find themselves you know, culminating in the great tribulation period. We don't need a sign for the rapture. That can happen any moment now. All these signs are signs of Jesus' second coming and the end of the world. You know, one of the ones that I trip out on is is the one Jesus mentions next. Again, there in verse 11, there will be great earthquakes in various places. And he also mentions famines. Every once in a while, we'll say uh, something that I would probably consider to be so silly. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. No, you're not. We don't know what hunger is. We don't. When was the last time, really, when was the last time that you went to bed on an empty stomach? Did you know that around the world, the world that we live in today, 850 million people go to bed every single night with an empty stomach? Did you know that one-third of the world today is starving? Another third of the world is malnourished? I mean, when I read of famines, you know, here in America, we've got restaurants everywhere. We've got refrigerators. We've got iceboxes. We've got food in our cupboards. We've got food coming out of our ears. when I think of famines, I'm like, what? Famines? What are you talking about? But then, you know what? You begin to look out in the world that we live in, and you find that Jesus is right. Back in the 1970s, there were three prominent scientists. They came out, and they said this. We have now begun the age of famine. And their words proved to be true. In the 80s, we focused on the famine in Ethiopia. In the early 90s, we sent soldiers to the famine in Somalia. And what you find just everywhere, man, 3.8 million people died in Congo due to famine, starvation. We find children dying in Sudan. Today, there's a food crisis, a famine in the Horn. Of Africa, which is affecting the countries of Somalia, Djibouti, Ethiopia, going down to Kenya, 11 million people are starving. Just like Jesus said, places like Afghanistan, Bangladesh, East Africa, Tajikistan, see how, according again to the World Health Organization, one third of the world. Is starving. There was an article I read in the USA Today that said this, and I don't, you know, we don't think about this whole lot. 18,000 children die every day due to famine. And you know, I think we got to think about these things. The last thing the Lord mentions right here is this whole idea of pestilences. Pestilences. The Greek word, according to the Vines Dictionary, speaks of a deadly infection. You know, and you just, again, you go down to the World Health Organization website, and you visit that, and you find the pandemics going on around the world, different types of influenzas that are killing people, uh, different types of diseases, different types of fevers. You open up your eyes, you go to the doctors, you find these things like cancer, diabetes, AIDS, arthritis, hepatitis, heart disease, and the many mysteries that doctors don't know how to treat nowadays, much less diagnose. And when we find you guys, and, and I, and I, and I just want to make sure that we don't just read through these things. And then what ends up happening is we're, you know, the Lord is sending us all these messages and all these billboards. Get ready, I'm coming. Let there be an urgency in your heart. And we don't know what the signs are. We don't look either for them or recognize them when God is trying to speak to us. That's all I'm trying to say, you guys. We need to be aware of this. You know, the pestilence is something that's interesting. You know, we think we have a bad in America. There's a doctor for every 574 people. But you go to other countries, for example, East, East Africa. Over there, there's a doctor for every 17,000 people. How are they doing in the pestilences? And one last thing before we leave this list is when you look at this, the the deceivers, the false Christs, you know, the wars, the racial tension, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, when you look at all these things, I mean we realize that we're we're pretty we're pretty messed up, huh? You know, we really are. Maybe you're living in a Christian cubbyhole and you're thinking that everything's fine and dandy, hunky-dory. But there are so many people suffering on planet Earth. We need Jesus to return. And all these things are not only signs of his return. They're signs of what happens to a world that rejects their God. I don't know about you, man, but I cannot wait for the Lord to return. You know, I've told you guys many times about the story of these demons that were one day talking to Satan. And this is not a true story. It's an illustration, okay? But we find is they were trying to come up with ways in which they could mess up planet Earth. Mess it up. And so one guy came to Satan, one demon, and he says, I got an idea. I'll go down to planet Earth. And tell them there's no God. And so Satan thought about it and he said, ah, Yeah, I, I guess you can go and you can try to, you know, grow atheism. And tell them there's no God. Some will believe you. But most people are smarter than that. Most people know that wherever there's anything created, that there's a creator when there's an order that there's a maker and a maintainer of the universe, most people know deep down inside because it's planted in their hearts that there is a God. But go, you'll do damage. The second demon came to Satan. and He said, oh, I've got an idea. I'll tell them that this isn't God's word. I'll tell them that it's not really God's word, that the Bible's not true so Satan said, yeah, go ahead and and go. You'll do damage. You know, a lot of people will probably believe you. And they'll reject that being the word of God and inspired by him. And you'll, you'll make an impact for evil. But most people, when they read the Bible, they know it's divine in origin. When they study it and the prophecies and the love and the beauty, it's just, man, it, it settles in their soul, and they'll know it's God's word. But go, you'll do a little bit of damage. And then the third Satan, the third demon came to Satan. He says, I've got an idea to mess everything up. I've got an idea to cause chaos and calamity and break up families and break up ministries and destroy planet Earth. I've got an idea. I'll just go down there and tell them that there's no urgency. Satan said, you're my man. You're my man. Because there's no urgency in the church. There's no passion. There's no fire. There's no cutting edge that says in our life as Christians that today can be the day. You know, here we're talking about this temple being destroyed. And yeah, that's you know something that could happen. But your temple could be destroyed today. Yeah, but I take vitamins. It doesn't matter, man. You work out, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Don't tell me how healthy you are. Some people, they brag and they say, look at how healthy I am. And they really do. You know what? You do not have another breath promised to you. This temple might be destroyed. And Jesus said he's coming. And when I open up my eyes and I look at all the signs of my Savior returning, I see that it could happen At any moment. And so let me just close today. By giving you four words. That I really want to encourage you guys in. Myself in. So that we can have a healthy relationship with God. In light of all these things. You know you're like well the Lord's coming back. Okay now I've got that information. Cool. But you know we need that to go farther. Than just being information. We want it to be transformation, right? And number one, I want to encourage you to wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. Establish your hearts, James 5 says. Wait on the Lord. And when I say wait on the Lord, what I mean is, um, you know, like Isaiah 40 says, wait on the Lord and you'll rise up with wings as eagles. When you really look at waiting on the Lord in the Bible, it's a belief, it's a faith, it's an eager expectation, it's a great anticipation. I believe these things. I believe these things. Wait on the Lord. You know, wait on the Lord. Believe this. Don't believe the lie of the devil that there's no urgency and that he's not really coming back soon. Wait on the Lord. Believe Number two, I want to encourage you to watch for the Lord, to watch for the Lord. Have any of you husbands ever come home and, you know, you come through the door and, you know, every once in a while you'll catch them on a bad day and, like, nobody really even notices? You know, your wife is watching TV, your kids are playing the video games. You walk through the door and it's like, hello, <laughs> I'm home, does anybody... Notice they weren't watching, right? But it's kind of cool. Let's just say, say, you know what? Hey, I got something for you, you know? And so what ends up happening? They're really excited. The kids are looking out the window. Maybe even the wife, she's looking out the window. Every once in a while, I remember coming home, and my son Aaron, he'd meet me at the door, and I'd grab for the doorknob, and he'd open it up for me. Hi, Dad, you know? (laughs) That's the type of watching. We need to have for Jesus Christ, you know, to where it doesn't overtake us. It's not like we weren't watching. We were looking. We were in fellowship with him. And when I say watching, we need to be like John. He says, come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, every day, looking up, looking up, also looking in. Man, I encourage you to do, number one, wait, believe. Number two, watch. Number three, work. Work, work, work. You know, the other day, Saturday, we were studying Proverbs chapter 6 in the men's prayer meeting over there. And, you know, you're always inspired when you read the Proverbs, huh? Because the Proverbs always talk to us guys, a lot of times, sometimes gals, but mainly guys, who get what? They get lazy. They get lazy. Laziness in the church. Laziness. Wickedness. Men that have been given biceps to work in the kingdom of God are not working. And and it's like, well, maybe tomorrow. Why maybe tomorrow? Why not now? You see, when the Lord comes, he says, occupy till I come. Do business till I come. You're going to give an account one day. Everybody here, we have work to do. I want to encourage you to let that work begin with your family. Take care of your wife. Take care of your husband. Take care of your children. Work faithfully at home. Don't sacrifice your children on the altar of ministry. But then, yes, work in the ministry. God has called you to church. God has called you a specific place in the body that you belong in. And I pray that you would know what it is. Don't do more because that's sin. Don't do too little because that's sin. Do what God has called you to do. Wait on the Lord. Believe in his return. Watch for the Lord. Look in and look up. Work for the Lord where you belong as men, as women. And then the last thing is this. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord, you guys. I love to do walks. And even though I go on the treadmill now, you know, because sometimes we run out of time, don't you guys like to go on walks? You should anyways. When you go on a walk with your wife, you know, you find a good neighborhood, right? where You can go on a walk with your wife, right? Isn't it cool? I mean, there's just something about that. Not only is it good exercise, but isn't there something about walking with your wife or maybe walking with your your child, that opens up some type of a conversation that otherwise, for whatever reason, you don't normally engage in. You know, and and we as Christians, we're called to walk with the Lord. It's the best exercise. It's good for you. And what ends up happening is when you walk with the Lord, you will eventually walk like the Lord. You will exalt God And you will enjoy God. And as you walk with the Lord, let me just share one last thing, you guys. You won't be left behind. You know, chances are, statistics say, that some of you here are not going to make it. Because you want to hold on to your sin. John chapter 3 said they love the darkness more than the light. Some of you here are not going to make it. Let me say something to you. Don't say you weren't warned. Don't say that. You were warned right here, right now, to let go of the sin and to get your life right with Christ. If you get left behind, don't blame God. Don't blame him, you guys. My prayer is that I would be wrong. (laughs) My prayer is that the statistics would be wrong. My prayer is that everyone here today would understand, you know what? The times of living in the nation of procrastination are over. I choose today, right here, right now, at this moment in time, to follow Jesus Christ with everything that I am. He loved me. He made me. He died on the cross for my sins. He opened my eyes. He opened my ears. He opened my heart. He has done everything for me. Everything that's good. And He deserves my absolute surrender. And so I pray, you guys, that you would live that life, that you would be blessed, and that today would be the day that we return to Him. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a joy it is, Lord, to have you as our God. And, To know, Lord, that you're coming again. Lord, I just thank you for your word. And I know, Lord, it's a working word. It's a living word. I also know, Lord, that unless you give weight to the words, it won't reach a single heart. But, Lord, if you do, ah, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would bless the people here today. I pray they would know that even words of warning, are words of love, true love from God. I pray, Lord God, that today, just somewhere deep in our hearts, Lord, would settle that issue and that we would return to you, Lord, if we drifted away. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then what you need to do is acknowledge you're a sinner. Just simple, I'm a sinner. And that sin has separated you from God. And what you need to do is repent of that sin and receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe that's you today. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ so that you can leave today knowing that if you die, you'll go to heaven in the right relationship with Him. And also, there might be some of you here today, maybe you've drifted away from the Lord and you're not where you belong. You know you have been kicking against the goats. And I'd also like to lead you in a prayer to return to Him. It's so simple. That's how I got saved. That's how everybody got saved. And that's how everybody got right with God. It was just a prayer. Just a prayer from your heart. And so if you want to receive Christ, if you want to return to Christ, then I encourage you right now, close your eyes, bow your head, and just pray this prayer in your heart. Agree with me. Say, Dear Lord, I come to You today and I admit I have sinned. I admit, Lord, I have drifted away. But today, Lord, I return to You. And once again, and for the first time, Lord, I receive You. As my Lord and my Savior, I turn away from my sin. I make that decision today and I turn to you. Fill my life with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life from this day forward for you. In Jesus' name, amen.